0: 18
1: plus. Welcome, I'm Roberta Glass, and welcome to my True Crime Report. Today, we are talking about Amanda Knox, Lifestyles of the Sociopathic and Famous, with Tuesday from the Elephant Lounge blog and podcast. So welcome, Tuesday.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks. Thanks so much for talking to me about this. So, Amanda Knox, has been signed by UTA, United Talent Agency, and she offers herself up as an expert speaker on these topics. So we're going to start out with the first topic that she offers herself up as an expert on, which is overcoming adversity. So well, I wonder... of
2: being a white woman.
1: Yes, it's very <laughs> tough being a white woman. And so... I want to talk a little bit about her background in in Seattle. She was she came from a pretty well off family. She went to a private school. Um, do you see any adversity in her um, early years? I I can't I
2: can't think of much. Uh, she seemed to be rather privileged compared to most Americans.
1: But yeah, that exactly same. right, exactly. And it, and around 15, her parents divorced and her mother ended up marrying a, a man 12 years her junior. And, yes. And what was interesting about that is that when Amanda Knox got arrested for Meredith Kircher's murder in Italy, they would do interviews, her parents would do interviews as if they were still married.
2: I noticed that as well, and they didn't really bring up the fact that her mother was divorced until, unless you were really following the case, mm-hmm. uh, they did seem to really want to give this impression that they were all a strong family unit.
1: Yeah, and it, it was, I didn't even know um, until way later into the case that they that they weren't still married. And um, Amanda Knox threw a party when she um, lived in Seattle when she was just uh I think a senior in high school. And it it was apparently everybody was drunk on drugs and it was like a big sex party and someone who was there say said that it the obvious end to it was it was inevitable that people would stop start throwing rocks at um cars, because they were so pumped up. Um, and right, I- the
2: reports say that there were cars swerving on the road, multiple people called the police. Uh, not a pleasant scene from what we can ascertain from the report, but somehow she got up with a warning, and then they also told her that, you know, if they had to come back, it would be pretty bad the sex stuff that was reported by uh, some people were there uh, claiming that there were people having sex in the open.
1: Uh huh. And it's a real foreshadowing to uh, the violence that she would be convicted of in Italy. Quite true. So, um,. Um, so I I think that's a real interesting thing, and that was her party, so it was her responsibility to, if she had seen violence, to to stop it, right? To stop the rock throwing, to get people under control, or just send them all home, right?
2: You would think, but uh, apparently that did not happen. She was the only one that ended up having to take responsibility for it. I'm surprised she got off so lightly. Uh, throwing rocks at cars to the point where
1: they're swerving in the road.
2: It's a, That's dangerous.
1: I mean, no p- high school party that I ever went to ended up like that. Did, did you Did you ever go to anything like that?
2: Um, I actually did go to a pretty bad party that ended up with a drive-by, but I had left before then. So right. I thought there was something a little crazy, but uh, not, not to people throwing rocks at cars, or people having sex in the
1: open, or, no, nothing like that. Yeah, it was incredible. And, um, so then she goes, she, she decides she's gonna study in Italy, and there's a real misconception about her studying in Italy. Um, saying that she was, you know, like, it was like a year abroad, or some kind of thing like that. Um, when she was well, a, I
2: believe there. Go ahead. Yeah, I believe there was a program, but she ended up only teaching a couple classes that weren't even accredited.
1: Right. So that's quite different than a year abroad, and and quite different from what Meredith was doing, which was a real.
2: Meredith, ha- Meredith was a very serious student. She'd been going already a couple of years, I believe, and she was taking on a full coursework.
1: Yeah, very very different than taking a few language classes, which Amanda Knox is gifted in. I always laugh when people say, oh, she didn't really know the language. You know, she spoke spoke fluent German uh, before she came to Italy, and she was quite um, gifted at languages. Is, still is. It's like she
2: were gifted in the English language,
1: perhaps. Yeah, she's not a great writer, but... She can, she can speak a foreign language if she has to. Um, and uh, she got this internship from her uncle. Um, how did that go?
2: So her uncle lived in Germany, and she had an opportunity to visit with the family. And apparently he pulled some strings to give her an internship that would last two weeks. But it was on the second or third day she decided to walk out. She posted on her Facebook, or not on Facebook, it was a MySpace, I have to remember. It was a MySpace back in the day. Right. Uh, she said that she really wasn't needed, and she was bored, so she just left, and she decided to drink wine and read books.
1: Right, I mean, she was doing them a favor, you know she was just relieving themselves of her of her, of her presence when they didn't need her and it's funny exactly. that she, right in the party in seattle she told her mom that it was the police were heavy handed so once again it was the police's fault so it, this will be a theme that you know amanda's the victim and she's just a victim of everybody else's misunderstanding bad behavior um prejudices
2: or she says that she was young, or she was exploring, or she was doing, just getting to know herself. Certain things like that. We also forgot to mention the uh, the fake break-in that she staged in Seattle as a as a joke. That's as a prank.
1: That's really a good good point. Is that she staged a break-in um, as a prank on her, on a friend?
2: I don't know where you're from, but we don't do that in the middle.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever pulled a prank on my friend in my life, but I may be I, that may be unusual thing about me, but
2: I'm not'm well, much about, of a
1: prankster. Well you think about pranks,
2: you think about silly strain. you think about you know shaving cream or you're sleeping and your hand is in warm water or something like that. You don't think about scaring the holy living cow out of somebody where they're uncomfortable in
1: their own place where they live. Yeah, very interesting. And strangely, with Meredith Kircher's crime, it was determined that there was a fake break-in in in the murder of Meredith Kircher. So it's just interesting how these kind of themes started very early. Uh, You know, she's in her, or the behavior started very early and predated her arriving in Italy. Um, So I think what you were really talking about is her normalizing her uh, own behavior, and she offers herself up as an expert speaker in navigating controversy. So... Right. (laughs) Because she has been a victim of... Of, of malicious tabloids I would guess that would be the idea and right um, so she says you know I was on a dis- uh I was just discovering myself I was sexually free not sexually you know loose or something like that or I don't know what was she said to Diane Sawyer do you remember exactly
2: I'm, I'm trying to remember it was like the sexual discovery or Something along those lines. Uh, All of the flamboyant stuff that you would imagine her to say. Right. But the navigating controversy, I mean, this should be to the PR team, I would think, because they're the ones that helped her the
1: most. Exactly. Hire, pay a million dollars to Gorghurti Murat, and you (laughs) will navigate controversy quite well.
2: Right. Step one: Hire PR. Get a
1: million dollars. Step one: Find a million dollars. No problem. Ask Dad. No problem. And then pay them if you get arrested. Yeah. For for play the victim. And that's another thing where she says it could happen to anyone. I am you. You know. Um, no, not everyone's going to be accused and convicted of murdering uh, their roommate. That's not a normal experience. That's not of the, of the norm and it's not high uh statistically likely.
2: No, it's not. It would be very, very rare.
1: Um and so she was sleeping with a man she met on a train when she she just met on a train. She was bragging to her friend that she had slept with a stranger. Um when she got to the um Villa that she shared with Meredith and two other women. She would play one note on the guitar endlessly, not flush the toilet, uh, not shower, never clean the... uh, They had a chart of doing the chores. Even going
2: to Perugia, the whole thing was very haphazard because from what I understand, she's on the train to Perugia, she sleeps with this person... This is where they believe she has contracted the herpes. And then she didn't have anything planned out. It wasn't until she got to Perugia and saw an ad on, a I believe it was a message board, for this room that was available. And then that's how she found her place in this little cottage or whatever. But who... Who does that? Who just goes to a foreign land and they don't know where they're gonna stay? They don't know what they're doing they
1: don't I right. mean that just seems very weird to me right, right, and it wasn't planned because she was supposed to be in Germany doing that internship right so right you know not even to have a place to stay for a couple of nights, even you know to check it out. It's very strange, you know. Um, and, um, but I mean, other people would say that, oh, that's so adventurous, you know, not knowing where you're going to stay. So I can see the other side of it too. i, I you know, uh, um,
2: yeah, when you're, when you're young, you, you can, you can kind of understand that. I think the only reason why we're talking about it is because of what happened. If, if by itself, is it that big of a deal? Probably not, but in the context of everything we know now, it kind of gives us a little bit of a foreshadowing right. of her helpless, her uh, haphazard ways
1: of not and of not taking responsibility for herself, even in the planning. Right. Exactly. So um, another thing is is her behavior. So. I kinda of wanted to go back to the herpes because that was something when she was in court, she would show up in court with this big herpes sore on her lip. And it was like we all saw it and she was being sold yeah. as this girl next door, but we weren't supposed to mention it or wonder about it. And she was on crime on on trial for a crime that involved um a sexual assault, right? So, right. and part of the testimony was about her showing off her vibrator, keeping a miniature vibrator on a makeup bag in the bathroom for everybody to see, you know, for Mer- the bathroom that she shared with Meredith, not sort of tucking right. it away. And so her sexuality and her the fact that she brought back men that she barely knew to the cottage, that the other women didn't like that. It made them feel unsafe. That was all an issue. But yet her herpes was kind of a thing that was like a taboo. If she said she was sex shamed or slut shamed, you didn't see it then, did you? Were people I... writing about her herpes and laughing about it? I mean, you know, or saying she was, as, you know, slut shaming her for it?
2: I came in late to the game, but even when I went over a lot of stuff that had already happened, I did not run across anything like that. I, I heard it, it was mentioned that she had possibly contracted herpes uh, from that particular person, but beyond that, no, I didn't see anybody mocking or or shaming her. As far as the sex stuff, the Foxy Nazi was her own, her own nickname that she had put on her social
1: media right and
2: you know she like I said then you have the testimony like you mentioned the vibrator all of these things that was stuff that came out that's her own actions her own doing
1: right I mean I think there's a difference between having some consequences for the way you present yourself and the way you behave and and, um, slut shaming you know Right. When you're on trial for murder. This is not, you know, she's not a movie star. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit more, scrutiny is a little (laughs) heavier when you're on trial for murder, no? Yeah, it's funny that you say that,
2: because they really treated this as if she were a movie star, almost. There was sort of this romanticized aspect of this case. A poor girl in Italy alone and charged with murder and falsely accused. And uh, it sort of makes for a nice uh, movie or a nice book. But it, as far as real life, it's a much different story that played out in the courtroom.
1: With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved,
2: we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen The Bride and groom?
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, and, it, I,
1: and I thought they did a little bit of the Menendez Brothers type thing where they dressed the Menendez Brothers in pastel sweaters to make them look younger and um, less menacing. And with Amanda Knox, they dressed her up kind of like girlishly. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, a little puff sleeves and- right little flowery type of shirts and, then, and they look they look off and she still dresses like that
1: right it, it became and her behavior was brought up in trial and has been criticized but when you criticize her behavior her supporters always say everybody reacts differently But let's talk about some of the behavior. One of the things, she said she did yoga stretches in the police precinct waiting to be interviewed. Other people said she did cartwheels and splits. Um, When she put on the little booties to bring the um, police into the villa. Can you you describe exactly what, what happened there?
2: Uh, the detective said he turned around to watch and see
1: if she'd put on her spat, and she sort of swiveled her hips and said, Voila! Right. Very, like, you know, always I think we were talking before before we started recording, and you said, you know, she's always on. She's always on. She's always on, yeah. And in uh, jail, she was called the the actress. And um, another... So... We have that kind of behavior, and then um, when she was asked to, you know, remember what happened that night, and she was hitting her head, kind of freaking out, right? Yeah, there, there were a few times she had started hitting
2: her head, and one of them was when she was shown the knife.
1: Yes, and
2: another time was when when they asked her about, you know, what. What happened that night as you mentioned. And the other time was when they were going to take a fingerprint. She starts hitting her head. I always
1: thought that was very interesting. Very interesting. So um and then we have the the cold Amanda, which was she told her her friend said, um her other roommate said, I hope Meredith didn't suffer too much. And Amanda said, What do you think? She bled to death course she suffered right. type thing so the and the cold amanda that didn't go to the memorial the whole town was at the memorial service she went off with raffaele eating pizza right right
2: and i that's the one thing that really always bothered me was not even being able to show up to the memorial service as you had stated before uh, scott peterson even went to his wife's memorial service of course he Called Amber Fry and told her she was <laughs> not there, but at right. least he at least he went, you know. Uh, no, I always thought that was very odd. And then there were times where, even like at the trial, she would say stuff. Well, you know, in the end, I really only knew her a month, and I just figured I I needed to answer some questions and get on with my life. Right.
1: That is cold. And the other very cold thing she says is it. Is it could have been me? My roommate was murdered, and it couldn't be me, right? It could. It was me oh, no. that, I I almost got murdered. It wasn't that she that my roommate lost her life and suffered terribly. It could. I almost could have been. I could. It could have happened to me. Yes, it could have happened to me. Yes, it's very human to to be afraid for yourself. But I would think that what would be on your mind is the suffering. And the loss of someone you knew, right? I, I mean, I, I'm telling you, it's
2: it's it's hard to say what any of us would do in certain situations. I understand that, but it's just very telling about where her mind is. It is always on Amanda, and nobody else. And yeah. we see this with every. Little thing that she
1: says and does, it always comes back to her. Isn't isn't that the truth? I mean, it's. I think we're going to touch on that more as as we as we move on um, to all the expert things that she's an expertise in now, which is so interesting. You know, you could and UTA is not a small agency. You know, among the other speakers right. are people like Ben Shapiro, Jank Uger, I mean, uh, Danny Glover. These are some of yeah. the other speakers that UTA represents. So, and you could really see that she is being pushed in the media. You know, the... If the YouTube videos are very supportive, the articles that you read are very supportive. And there was one um, short piece about her return, and her return to Italy is almost like, you know, the Queen's tour of Italy is getting so much press, you know. And she wrote that she was traumatized for for the amount of press she was getting. Well, try not to um, hire a publicist and a big-time agency. Maybe, and call all the press. Maybe you won't be traumatized by it then. Do it quietly.
2: Right. I, why, I, I'm still at a loss for why she would go back to Italy. I mean, after all, they tortured her. They starved her. They threw her in prison. They didn't give her a fair trial. They just left her to die. And then they finally got it right. And then she wants to go back. Somebody help me out here. That is
1: completely incongruent. Right. I think she really wants to go back because she wants to make a career out of being Amanda Knox. She tried a career as a journalist. Um, even her pieces for, uh, you know, the print journalist. Then she was a kind of an anchor for Vice with Broadly, where she interviewed... Amber Rose about slut shaming and that mm-hmm. and you brought up the most interesting uh, part of that interview was when um, Am- you said that when Amber Rose can you elaborate on that when Amber Rose sort of thanks oh, yeah, her Amber for her oh Amber Rose
2: kind of turned to her in the middle of the interview and said you know you really helped a lot of people and your story helped a lot of people and Amanda immediately just her face Changes and you can just see that, yes, I know, uh, poor me. It, it's like she's always on to, to a certain degree, and you can just see the, the happiness that she feels about talking about herself. And you just kind of have to see it to believe it. But if you've been around enough people, and you know how people react to things, you recognize it, and you see it in Amanda. And it is very evident in this interview, because now, you know, instead of Amanda being the interviewer, sort of Amber Rose sort of almost takes control over that for a moment, and Amanda is able to embellish a little bit on on her story.
1: Right, because she's very comfortable being the subject. But she's not very comfortable being the kind of staying in the background and and asking the questions. That's, you know, I think very uncomfortable because I think her interest in other people is very, very shallow shallow, shallow to slight. I think I said before we started, everybody, everybody is not me to Amanda Knox. It's her interest is in her favorite subject herself. And everyone else is not Amanda Knox and has not suffered the way she has, is not as interesting as she and is just taking you know taking more oxygen from her. And it was kind of interesting. I saw some also the Tess Holiday interview, and that is when you can really see how how awkward she is as an interviewer. And just the situation alone, like I'm Tess Holiday. I'm this um, plus-size model who, um, you know, whatever you can say about Tess Holliday's career, fine. I'm a controversial (laughs) figure. Hi, I'm Amanda Knox. I'm a controversial figure because I was convicted of murdering my roommate in Italy. And I only got off on a technicality where they agreed that I was there the night of the murder. I washed my roommate's blood off my hands. But we, they weren't just so sure about the DNA evidence, so they just let me go. I mean, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, I'm famous for causing controversy from, you know, something I'm doing. You know, I, I something, you know what I mean? Something that at least takes some kind of, I, I don't know how much modeling, talent modeling really takes, but Whatever. Whatever. To make yourself right. a, a figure, and then uh, there's Amanda Knox, and you can tell she has no interest in Tess Holiday and no compassion, you know, for her at all. For her, she goes for, the motions. for her, for the criticism that she's received, because nobody has yeah, acted as bad as Amanda Knox.
2: Yeah, she goes through the motions, and if she's shown up, then obviously you need to accept that.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, when you try to um do these careers that are, are based on just for someone like Amanda Knox, that's based on uh you're not just a controversial figure, but you're a dark figure. And so much of the um conversation with the people that I that I meet um who are asking me about true crime Well, oh, Amanda Knox always comes up. Like, uh, oh, what do you think of Amanda Knox? She really gives me the creeps. That's always the reaction. It is.
2: It is. Even if you go on YouTube and look under any of her videos, you'll see she's got her supporters. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of people immediately say there's something off, and a lot of it has to do with the, the words that she. Chooses. Oh,
1: good point. And
2: that—that's uh, why I wanted to talk about that statement analysis stuff. And there's, there's a few blogs that do a wonderful job breaking down, like her statements, the certain certain statements that she used in her uh, declaration to the to uh, police that night. She was finally that, and she says stuff like. I'll I'll read this. This is just an example. I have been told there is hard evidence saying that I was at the place of the murder of my friend when it happened. This, I want to confirm, is something that to me, if asked a few days ago, would be possible. So, she's trying to kind of have it both ways, but in this phrase, in this, couple of sentences, she literally uses the words, I was at the place of the murder when it happened. That is just disturbing to me. People who are innocent would not use these words. And that's why she has such a difficult time coming across as being sincere or honest. She puts these Phrases together
1: that make her sound guilty. Absolutely. She takes ownership of it. I was there. I mean, we know how to use the, the, the you know, where we, we start a sentence off with I was there at the scene of the murder. I mean, you know, you're owning, owning, owning your own experience. Right. She even has a couple of statements that
2: say, you know, I realize there's evidence of my involvement. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you word it that way? Why would you even talk about it? It, it, just, it makes no sense. And her statement analysis, as far as all the ones that I could find and the professionals that have gone over her work, they all indicate that she is talking about a sexual assault. She introduces water into her, her language, and apparently this is a, a common, commonly found among people who are talking about uh, times where sex is involved. They talk about washing up or cleaning up. Meredith talks about washing and Raphael
1: cleaning
2: her ears.
1: Right, and her ears, Uh, where she got the earring pulled out of, too, which just on a physical level might also be crusty and bloody and crusty from having her earring pulled out during the murder. But it is a very, um, you know, it has also different
2: meanings. We saw the bloody footprint on the bath mat going into the shower. Somebody took a shower right somebody with blood on their foot took a shower and the only reason why you'd have blood on your foot is if you were involved in that murder and that bloody footprint does not match raphael it, or it, it does not match rudy gray day it matches raphael that toe matches raphael
1: and just on a on a just a, a sort of we talked a lot about the evidence um, last episode, but if, if Rudy Goudet did this crime alone, what are all the bloody footprints? Mean, his footprints are nowhere. They go right out the door. And who are these people walking around in blood all over the apartment? It's not Rudy Goudet's footprints, Right.
2: Uh, yeah, that's exactly. someone who lives they go right
1: there. Out the door. Right, but he's also got his shoes on. Right, as if this were a home invasion, burglar, sexual assault type murder of a person you didn't know. You wouldn't have the body covered with a blanket, for one. You wouldn't have the door locked, and you wouldn't have these kind of footprints. Uh, uh, they wouldn't be barefoot. I don't know of any home invasion type thing where the burglar, uh, burglar slash murderer decides to take off his or her shoes halfway through the crime. It's
2: very, yeah, it does not make any sense unless you put them at that crime. Here's another statement that I, that I also was pretty disturbed with. Mm-hmm. Um, after dinner, I noticed there was blood on Rafael's hand but I was under the impression that it was blood from the fish. Yeah. After we ate, Raphael washed the dishes, put the pipes into the sink, and water flooded the floor. That's what I was talking about with the water. Usually when people introduce this, there is a sex crime involved. Um, but notice blood on his hand. Thick, like what, what kind of fish are you eating that's
0: ChumbaCasino.com. No by law. plus, terms and conditions apply. website for
1: details. I thought that was the strangest, <laughs> strangest statement. And, you know, uh, not even, uh, you know, the artist's statement analysis, just listening closely when someone talks, um, describing what they did. I thought the blood had come from the fish. It's so strange. what I
2: I mean, I buy fish all the time, and it's just like I mean, I I guess if he had just gone down to the pier and picked himself, you know, caught himself a fish, I guess he'd have blood. But most of the fish that you get in the store is just
1: there's no blood on it. (laughs) No, I've caught fresh fish. It's not excessively bloody. Where it's not even something you would confuse with human blood. You know, I've, I've right. gutted a fish. It's not, it's just, it just sounds like the prick on, uh, when uh, when Raffaele Selecito said that, wrote in his diary that he had pricked Meredith cooking, and that's how her DNA got on the tip of the knife, and how, you yes. know. So, it just sounds like it's a reach trying to tailor the evidence.
2: I I think so, and I, I think there's something a little bit, like I said, just very bizarre in, in the way she words things, and even in her interviews, we all saw the one interview with, uh, gosh, I can't think of his name now, but I know you'll know who I, I'm talking about when I say, she talked about Meredith's broken body. Kumo? no signs of Meredith's broken body on her.
1: Uh, wasn't that with Kumo? I forget his first name. It's not it's Mario's what is that his brother or Kumo? Isn't that who that was? Yeah, Cuomo. Cuomo Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo, I think. You. Andrew Cuomo, sorry. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I should and, know how to pronounce he, it being in New York.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he he had got, I I I think he thought she was guilty, by the way. He he got he made it some kind of a comment, I remember. After that interview, he did not find her to be credible at
1: all. No, and she said, "Well, I wasn't bearing, wearing leather and bearing a whip." And then there's an article <laughs> comes out years later about her home in Seattle, how she's having, um, you know, uh, what do you call that? Be an Airbnb people over for fifty bucks a night, and guess what's on the wall? A whip. So a whip. Did she have condoms out too? Yeah, condoms in a bowl and a, and a and a whip, and there was a blind item. And obviously, with you know blind items, when they um, people were guessing, the guess was Amanda Knox about a boyfriend and a notorious woman who you know. Um, was notorious for, you know, doing something. I don't know how they put it, but basically sounded like Amanda Knox being pimped out by her boyfriend uh, for, uh, you know, sexually. Prostitution, Prostitution. Yeah. So, and that was, interestingly, that was taken down off of Crazy Days and Nights. So, you can't find it there anymore, but you can find it on the... A, G, C, pages, which solves um, blind items. It's a whole, I'll, oh, I'll put okay. it in, I'll put it in the, I'll put the link to it in the description of the, um, this, this uh, episode. And people can look at it and make um, what they will out of it. But it's just interesting that if you don't want that reputation, Amanda Knox, don't present yourself that way. Don't put a whip on the wall and invite journalists over into your home. Maybe take it down and put it in the closet, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't think she's like any, she seems
2: to like have no self-awareness of her oddities. And I, I was telling you earlier, you know, I myself consider myself to be a little bit of an oddball, a little eccentric, a little weird, but I'm aware of it. And so when people ask me about something, like why I did something or why I reacted to something the way I did, I will gladly tell you, oh, yeah, I know. I'm a little goofy. I did this because of this. Or, yeah, I know. I. But I'm aware of it. People who are a little upbeat or a little goofy or a little eccentric, we are aware of our weirdities. We understand this. Amanda acts like there's nothing, like she. She doesn't acknowledge anything she's done as being weird. She goes to the police station and makes faces with Raphael. They play goofy FaceTime, acting like toddlers at the police station, while they're waiting to, you know, talk about the murder of her roommate and her friend. Uh Everyone else is sad. Everyone else is crying and upset and, and, you know, worn down. And Amanda is playing footsie with her
1: boyfriend, right? And you know, <laughs> I I really didn't get the full weight of that until I started going to court and walking into a, a courthouse, and which I assume I've, I've been to a police station is I know a lot like a police station. It it is a somber environment, not one that you want to do that. But interestingly. Uh, Jodie Arias uh, displayed some of the same types of behavior in her um, questioning. So she, when when she knew she was being filmed, she was doing uh, yoga uh, headstands and singing. And I really think it was a kind of performative thing where these sociopaths think that a normal person wouldn't act to not act suspicious they have to act casual and light-hearted because they didn't do anything wrong so why would they be worried it's a show of not being worried and of being a kind of fun person and I think the film Amelie that they watched that night sort of put that in her head as a way to act that would deflect um suspicion from her
2: I agree. Yeah, you see it a lot. You really do see it a lot where they just sort of act like nothing's bothering me. Everything's fine. Scott Peterson did the same thing. Had not a care in the, care in the world about just kind of went on with his life. And everyone else, it's like it, it they were trying to be normal, but they don't really understand what normal behaviors are to begin with.
1: And that's a big problem with both Amanda and R.J. And Chris Watts, too, was, like, arranging plans to sell the house, called the school, like, up oh, the kids aren't coming back. Uh, Will you think they'll be back next semester? Nope, they're never coming back or whatever, you know. <laughs> Didn't think anything of it. Just, you know, getting on top of business. Had no clue, you know, of, of, the, of his own behavior. So... There's also, she can't, my point really is that she can't, even if you are eccentric, there you have a kind of uniform personality. Either you're the lighthearted Amelie, right. or you're the cold, shut down person who won't cry at the funeral, or, you know... Or you're, you know, whack, you know what I mean? And it's always in a yeah. spectrum of normalized behavior. And we're always saying everyone reacts differently as a defense for people who are accused of heinous crimes. Right. They're you know actually I
2: mean?
1: guilty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Rarely do, <laughs> you know, rarely do we ever hear this come up in any other context. Everyone reacts differently, you know.
2: Right, right. Maybe
1: after it, it, a death, it, it, but I, I don't know. Maybe after a death, if someone's criticized, I don't, I don't know. But not, not, not in this intense kind of art, kind of dismissal of human behavior. Nothing that they do means anything. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. All that matters is you know whatever whatever evidence they want to point to. Right,
2: the critics would obviously. It's interesting because they would obviously dismiss anything. We saw the pictures, for instance, of Amanda Knox posing behind a machine gun at a museum. We saw that photo. We saw a photo of Rafael, uh wrapped up in almost like a mummy mm-hmm. with a bleach and knife. And of course, we're supposed to dismiss this. It's not a big deal. Some, you know, blah blah blah. But if, if, for instance, were had gone to a party in his college years and posed w- in a picture that was like a, I don't know, in a Hitler suit or something, those same people would demand that we pay attention to that, right? It, it's very odd how they want to dismiss everything, but it, if, it, if it goes against anybody else, well, then they want you to pay attention to it, you see. Right. Well, so, Right,
1: and they, it's, it's a double standard with them all, every step of the way. Right. And, and, and even your disbelief in uh, Amanda Knox, who's a convicted perjurer, makes you somehow a bad person. I mean, just all you have to do is look at my iTunes reviews. And the fact that, you know, I don't believe her or believe another person who was convicted of, of, a, of murder... Makes me a terrible person. My my out is, is my outlook is terrible. Right. So, I mean it's 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 very interesting. You're absolutely right. If there was a picture with Munini, like there is Amanda Knox behind a machine gun with the Nazi within, we'd never see the end of it. Hear the no. end of it. See the end of it, or hear the end of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think we're still in. Um, The second thing, are we in forgiveness and empathy? Apparently, Amanda Knox, we're in this. She is a expert in forgiveness and empathy. And yet, she says she feels badly for falsely accusing her boss, Patrick Lumumba, of killing Meredith Kircher and letting him sit in prison for two weeks before he found a way to get himself out, not Amanda Knox. And and yet she's never paid him back. And forgiveness starts with an admission of wrongdoing and saying you're sorry, and that's the beginning of healing, right? Our whole legal system is based around that.
2: I I think for most of us, her forgiveness uh, seems to be misplaced. And this goes back to... Even when I was talking about before in her statement analysis, there's a point during her statement where she says, I was hit. I was hit in the head. But I understand that the police are very upset and they're very stressed out. Uh, This is, again, totally incongruent, totally out of place with the context of what's going on, if you're hit by the police, the last thing you're going to do is make excuses for them. You're going to be rightly upset and angry. Uh, They didn't, especially if they didn't ask for, you know, or, or admit that they did anything wrong and ask for forgiveness, why would you make an excuse for them and turn around and say, oh, I understand, under stress. It's very misplaced. She's trying to make herself look like the big person.
1: That's right. She's
2: very good at putting on a show.
1: And you see that a lot in people who have found a way out of their convictions will say, I'm only looking forward. I'm not angry at the person that falsely accused me of the crime or... Uh, you know, the West Memphis Three, they're not mad at uh at, at Jesse Miss Kelly for for confessing everything multiple times. You know. Yes. They're not yes. mad. Good Even though they spend eighteen years in they're not mad. You know, but it's just not the way human beings life on planet Earth is like. How and the how way human beings of that. act. Right. And,
2: and it's funny because she's not you know she understands the police are under stress and all, but you know don't call her a whore. Don't call her a Foxy Noxy.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. She, oh. she gets
2: upset at the weirdest things.
1: And she, and yet the Kirchers, she forgives them for somehow having the false idea that she killed their uh, their daughter. But she, right. and they don't, the Kirchers have asked Amanda Knox not to talk about Meredith, and not talk about the crime, to basically exit slowly out of the spotlight, you know, gracefully. And yet, right. because basically they're asking her not to make a career out of being, uh, you know, a, a convicted murderer, right? Uh, or whatever. Exactly. A convicted murderer that got off on the technicality. I mean, that's just the fact. Well, I think
2: they're offended by the fact that she's trying to position herself as a victim, and her victimhood is more important than the actual victim that suffered a horrific death. That's what's so insulting about the entire thing.
1: And do you think that some of this is that we can imagine being in prison Um, and yet we can't imagine what it's like to be, um, choking on our own blood, losing consciousness, knowing that we're going to die as we listen to Amanda Knox and Raffaele Selecito lock us into the room and, you know, with our cell, taking our cell phones. I mean, is it harder for us to imagine, uh, Meredith Kircher and the suffering that she endured? Is it easier, easier for us to imagine being in prison for a crime we supposedly say we didn't commit.
2: Yeah, there's a cognitive dissonance where we don't want to go. A lot of times, our minds just don't want to go that dark, and because it's somehow we've convinced ourselves that oh, that's a reflection of you or something bizarre, uh, whatever excuse they want to make up. But the fact is, is I gone over this a million times in my head and I've tried to put all the pieces of information together and I just can't make out a scenario where Amanda Knox is not involved and that's the bottom line and whether you don't want to see her as somebody who killed somebody she was there her own words put her there true
1: True. And there's no, to say Rudy Gooday did the whole thing alone, it it doesn't match the the evidence where you have Amanda, the mixed blood of Amanda Knox and Meredith Kircher in Philomena's room, in the bathroom, Um, you know, it it just doesn't match the the rest of the evidence.
2: Somebody held that girl down. There's 43
1: wounds. There's no way that was inflicted without a defense wound. Oh, wow. I mean, we could have almost made... But yet she she constantly says, you know, I want to talk to the Kirchers. I want to... And then there's a very weird interview where she says, what am I going to say? Hi, I'm Amanda Knox. Want to talk to me yet? I mean, it yeah. it's really... um inappropriate and chilling and insensitive. Those were the... That was the impression I got? Yeah, she does not have...
2: It's very clear she just does not have empathy. That's how she comes across.
1: And nowhere was that more apparent in the return of her adopted rescue dog that got returned with cut-up paws in such a bad state that... The um, animal uh, shelter employee wrote, "I can't believe this. Amanda Knox just returned this dog that was in perfect shape. She can't adopt it for some reason, and its paws were all cut up and bleeding. No, I who heard does this, that to an animal this kind
2: of gained some attention on social media. This was reported directly to the people. Did we get an official news story, or was this something that was kind of covered up?
1: Well, it was covered up, which happens when when um you have a billion dollar p r team and an agent and uh, you know a whole a whole team behind you, but it did make twitter it did make the Twitter feed, so yeah that's it and she didn't deny idea. it, so you know. Well,
2: ultimately, she can because if nobody picks it up and invest, you know, investigates it, well, then, you know, people can just easily dismiss it and say, "Well, it, that's just a rumor."
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. I wish they had. I. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I. 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 I'm an animal lover, so in addition to. To, I wish they had moved forward with some kind of punishment for her on that, you know, or take responsibility for for the animal, for the return of the animal in that condition, who's already traumatized from being, you know, um, abandoned once. It's just, ah, uh, it's it's absolutely unbelievable that um, she's making a career for herself as a, a as a wronged person. um, Yeah, and even some of the interviews that she's done, I I saw a couple just recent ones
2: that she did. She's sitting in front of a camera kind of telling her story, and she's, you know, she's kind of tearing up almost. Like, I'm crying, but I'm not really crying type thing. uh
1: And it's been how many years? It's been about 15 years, hasn't it? Or 10? 2007 did this happen? Am I wrong? 2007. Yeah, so
2: over 10 years, right?
1: Yeah, uh-huh.
2: I mean, usually when, I mean, if, why is she crying? You, like, she wasn't attacked. Right. I don't understand why she's getting so worked up after, you know, after 10 years of this, and she's doing this interview, and she's crying. Like, what, what are you crying about? Nobody attacked you. You didn't go through any type of... You didn't go through anything. You went to jail, you got out, you're fine. I can understand crying the day after, or, you know, even a few years later or something, but she's acting like the trauma just happened yesterday. That's Mm -hmm. acting to me.
1: Well, she didn't seem traumatized when she was in prison. She never had to ask for a tranquilizer. She slept like a baby. She, which was very unusual, said the prison guard. The other um, prisoners all had trouble sleeping. Uh, were asking for, for, for a Tylenol PM at least. Not Amanda Knox. And she didn't right. share. She got all these privileges with the kinds of food that she could have. She ate everyone else's food. Never shared any of her own. And never made any real friends in prison. And would only talk to the priest. And yet she's now this famous atheist. But her best friend was the priest. And my take on that is that he was in the status position. And he was also a man. And so she could, um, she sucked up to the person who she thought had power. Also, she sucked up to the prison guard.
2: Right, that she accused of uh, sexually harassing her, right?
1: I'm not sure that was the same one, was it? I know. I she, don't know.
2: I know that there was one person she did. Oh, there was a woman that she talked to. Maybe that—that's who you're talking
1: about. I'm talking about yeah, if the, the woman really who was interviewed. Yeah, with for an article and said, "I'm very motherly," and all the um, prisoners kind of see me as a mother. But Amanda Knox was was like an ice queen. I could. We called her the actress. We all saw through what kind of person she was, and it was. And also, she had problems with hygiene in prison, too, where she smelled other prisoners were telling her, you're going to court, and that's how she got those braids. They would put her hair, because it was so unwashed, in braids to try to hide some of the the dirt. Yeah,
2: she didn't want to shower. She'd work out, and then she didn't want to shower.
1: Which is consistent with what her roommate said when... She was living with uh, in the villa in uh, Perugia. So,
2: right? What was exactly what, what Meredith was saying about her?
1: But really, I, I don't know. All of these are hilarious that she's an expert on any of these things. But to fully <laughs> be an expert, to be a exoneree, speak public speaker, you have to connect it to a hot topic. Or I kind of politicize it. And for the great finale, Amanda Knox is also a feminist and an expert on misogyny. So, first of all, to be a feminist, you have to have some conception of sisterhood. And what has Amanda Knox done for women or any other human being, male or female, ever? Ever. I I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't have anything. I can't think of anything either.
2: So, So, obviously, Magnini is the big bad misogynist. He saw Amanda, he wanted to go after her, and then he threw in Raphael just to cover up his misogyny.
1: Right. That's got to be it, right? That's got to be it. But what a! It's gotta be it. I mean, if we're if, if Amanda Knox is a feminist hero, we are in a lot of trouble. And she is probably asking for big bucks. I would think for public speaking. I, I know, you know, it's been in the tens and and twenty thousands that she's made. I've heard on some some um, some speaking events, but. She seems like she's really pushing herself into um, the public arena.
2: I'm surprised that she's able to draw a crowd, to say the least. But I I do, I don't know, I am interested in, in what she would have to say about this topic in particular. I think she feels as though because the focus on her was the sex and being promiscuous and stuff like that, I think she feels that this is what connects her with being a feminist. And that, you know, the, the whole slut-shaming thing we talked about, I think she's trying to find an identity with that, and she's riding the wave. And I also think that she... Didn't she recently kind of come out with the Me Too as well?
1: I'm not sure. I I don't I don't recall.
2: I think she. I it's it's been a, a a while now since that came out, but I believe she was kind of trying to hop on that bandwagon as well, and she's an opportunist in that regard. So she's kind of feeling out. I mean, if we look at the if we look at the topics here that we went over so we'll just go over them real quick overcoming adversity <laughs> a very popular topic right mm-hmm. Navigating controversy again this is something that has come up in the news here and there with among politicians especially in, in celebrities And then we have forgiveness and empathy We're always I mean this is a big one. The whole thing about empathy, mm-hmm. you have to have empathy. This is a big, hot topic now, mm-hmm. and misogyny and feminism. She's going to get into the politics. She's going to get into, she, this is where she's going, is what it looks like to me. She's going to be running for, you know, some
1: office. You think so? You think that's the future?
2: I think that's where she's going to try and go, yeah. Because I'm, you know, putting all this together and looking at all this and where she's trying to position herself in. Yeah, that's what it looks
1: like to me. And as a critic of liberal feminism, she's really perfect for it. Because, in my opinion, liberal feminism caters to men, uh, looks for cookies for men. You can be as sexualized as you can... You know, objectify yourself and sexualize yourself as much as you want. And no one can criticize you for it, you know, less they slut-shame you, you know. And um, right. they also want to include men. Uh, as They want to even redefine women as to include men. So, um, And to include a uh, murderer where no one's allowed to criticize another woman in, in liberal feminism what you you're not allowed to criticize any woman's choices even if that choice is jumping off a bridge and in this case even if it's murdering your roommate you can't criticize another woman so she's really perfect for it
2: that's their vision of sisterhood so
1: i mean i she can uh she can be and liberal feminists are if they're stupid enough to embrace her uh you know That's the way it'll go down. But I also see, we're also talking about a pattern just very quickly um, as we're wrapping up, of her not sort of following through, kind of repeating um, her flaking, uh, flaking her internship, you know, flaking on her internship in Germany and kind of like making it as a writer, not doing that. It was awkward advice. She's not a very good interviewer. Now she's trying to be this public speaker. I just see her because she really there's no there there she's really just a black hole of darkness so kind of looking to latch on to an identity and I wonder if it will if she'll ever be able to really make it work and also to continue she's also supposed to have a podcast talking about the truth about true crime to kind of have the real discipline and the um drive to complete something like that, even with a team of people behind her week after week?
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting because so far everything's fallen apart or it's been unimpressive. And she's had the support of a lot of different people, powerful people, people with money, Mm-hmm. Uh, people who have the ability to, to give her basically anything she needs. She is extremely privileged. And yet, everything just sort of kind of takes a those guys You will hear about some project she's working on, and then it just sort of falls flat. Uh, or something doesn't come off in good taste. She's... She just does not come across very well in her words, in her appearance, in her mannerisms, uh, nodding yes when she's trying to say, no, I wasn't there
1: oh, when Meredith was murdered. N- right.
2: That kind of stuff, it comes across, and it's in practically every interview she does, her mannerisms, everything just comes across poorly
1: it's very interesting also that they interview her uh, for Seattle with her best friend at the time, who we haven't seen in years. Uh, At the time, it was Madison Paxton, sort of next to her to normalize her, to show her in the beginning of the documentary, feeding her cat, to um, normalize (laughs) her and make you identify with her, you know? But um, without those props... She comes off as um, very, very odd. And even with those
2: props. Yeah, even even with all that, it's just, there's something off. It's in it. It goes back to the dead eyes. Those eyes are just, they're not there. I could sit there and wave my hand in front of her, and she would just look right through, you know?
1: Yeah it'd just be interesting also. it's also a reflection on our culture, which is so surfacy. So on the surface, without listening to her or knowing the facts of her case, she might look like the girl next door, depending on who you talk to, depending on how they see her. I know um, there's been a lot of different views of her appearance or how she comes off. Um, but to see if that will be enough, that kind of if she can continue to keep up that image. If our culture is just slick and surfacey enough to keep it running, who knows?
2: I think it's possible. I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for a time where if we give some of these people enough time and enough attention, uh, they, they will expose themselves. This is a new type of era we're, we're in, where we have people like Amanda Knox. Mannacles um they're in the, they're still kind of in the public spotlight. We're watching them, we're still seeing them we're we're kind of watching how they behave, and I'm wondering if you know some of this exposure will eventually feed the sunlight you know the disinfectant that we need
1: interesting. Thank you. Um, Tuesday, where can we find your stuff?
2: I'm, I'm on YouTube. I'm under Tuesday Money, and I also have the Elephant Lounge uh, blog. So it's elephantlounge.org.
1: Thank you so much.
2: All right. Thank you.